Hello, and welcome back to Stern Chats, a podcast that explores the untold stories of the NYU Stern community. I'm Charles Inyamena. Today, I'll be speaking with Charlie Razouk, a former NYU Stern Exchange MBA, and more importantly, CEO of Jackfur, a responsible men's personal care and lifestyle company. So welcome, Charlie. Thank you. How's it going? Not bad. You know, can't really complain. <laughs> How are you? I am doing well. Um, a little, a little stress. We're about to start fundraising again for a seed round. So, um, uh, but otherwise, good. <laughs> that's good. At least uh, you know you you have something going on. So, yeah. Even though it's stressful, there's something happening. So, great. <laughs> okay. Just to obviously jump into this here. So, um, Charlie, do you mind telling us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, so I started Jackfur in February 2020, and we didn't launch until August 2022. Um, before that, I was pursuing my MBA at um, Stabacone in Milan and uh, actually ended up finishing up at Stern, which uh, we can discuss more in a bit. Um, and before that, I was the first employee at a startup swimwear company called Solid and Striped um that has done quite well i was there for almost four years interesting little transition from you know being in a, a whole different mba program exchanging here and having some work here so great great transition <laughs> yeah um along that and talking a little bit more jack for in an interview on yahoo called in the know earlier last year you spoke about your entrepreneurial spirit and how your journey with cancer really pushed you towards personal care so can you speak a little bit more about that yeah, so um, in the middle of my MBA, I was diagnosed with leukemia in June 2018. Um, that was about two days before I was starting my summer inter- my MBA summer internship at the Gucci headquarters in Milan. Um, so flew back, had to deal with that. It was a three and a half year journey, um, but a year a year into that, my um, I was considered not immunocompromised anymore. So I was able to go back and finish my uh, courses at NYU Stern, which was closer to my hospital. So I couldn't go back to Coney for my last four months, but I got to finish at Stern, which was really um, a treat and great for me. Um, And I was focusing in uh, luxury management so I could take retail classes at Stern as well. So it all worked out. Um, But during that time while I was sick, I became quite uh, aware of the daily toxins and industrial pollution that we're facing in our everyday lives. And so I thought, why not make a clean men's skincare company when I was trying to replace my personal care items and couldn't find anything on the market? I could find women's products and I was using them for probably a year, but I couldn't find men's products. So I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to bring this to the men's market. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how I got to where I am. My entrepreneurial spirit that I referenced, I think is partly my own. I've always been pretty driven and like to juggle lots of things and not be a cog in a wheel. I had worked at Atlantic Records in a, a small but mighty department called A&R where you scout talent and um, scout talent and set up recording sessions and kind of, you know, curate the the album process and the signing process of artists. And it, as cool as it sounds, 
I felt like such a small little cog in the wheel of that giant record label. So I knew I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial after that, which led me to Solid and Stripe, the swimwear company. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, my dad has his own little financial business. I come from a line of immigrants who are all entrepreneurs and I don't know, partly in my blood, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great to hear. So really quick question, but if you weren't in the you know men's personal care business, what do you think you would have tried to pursue? Uh, great question. I actually always thought I'd start a men's clothing line. And I think oh. I was... I think I was hesitant um, because now in hindsight, I realized that I didn't have an idea that was different enough. I just loved clothes and I thought we mm-hmm. could have like, I could start something fun that was kind of more like maximalist and pattern that w- than what was on the market. But ultimately I think I d- it didn't feel different enough. And when mm-hmm. this idea came to me out of, out of a need uh, not to sound trite because <laughs> Um, you know, everyone's like, oh, there was a gap in the market, but like there actually kind of was. So, um, I was like, huh, like I want this. I can't find it. I'm like terrified about what's in my products. This is actually a good idea. This could make me money. (laughs) Nice. Wow. It's interesting because I actually have a a pretty close friend that was he was one of, like a similar personality where he want you know he wants to start something but he didn't know what it was and he we went to undergrad together and he ended up starting like a interesting like clothing it's almost like parody clothing but it's picked up and become a pretty big thing so it's interesting seeing how people are inspired by certain things to you know pursue their passion so that's awesome yeah yeah I don't know it's weird like I don't know if like I, I wouldn't count men's wear out forever like as something maybe done fine <laughs> if I'm not still working on this but yeah. yeah. It's it, it's a scary jump to make, and it was less scary with this idea. <laughs> Com- completely fair. So, you know, speaking a little bit more about that, how hard, I imagine it's pretty difficult, but how, how hard has it been trying to break into the men's personal care space? Obviously, you know, there aren't a, an exorbitant amount of men's care brands that exist, and also men are also not the most inclined to, you know, look for these sorts of products. So how hard has it been for you? Right. So I think you touched on two big points about kind Mm -hmm. of like um, just the general environment and competition. So traditionally it's not, and it it isn't, it's like women's is very oversaturated at the moment. Like it kind of became the new fashion, like with Instagram, I think like companies like the last one I worked at, like had this big Mm -hmm. opportunity in the beginning with like influencers and like direct consumer to like finally like, breakthrough without having to like have a huge retail footprint and like giant investing um because you had a direct line to the customer that sort of has become oversaturated um but then with skincare people started to do that later so then all of a sudden like the new in my opinion women's fashion was women's skincare so women's skincare is super super busy men's is less so but you know i'm not the only one catching on i think i'm one of the few that's focused on clean men's skincare, mm-hmm. the less toxic kind, um, which still differentiates us. We have really one direct competitor. But that said, it still is becoming harder in terms of competition and general industry when you like um, expand that matrix to incorporate other like unisex or women's clean skincare brands, like to to differentiate yourself and like bid on these 
AdWords and to get people clicking your uh, ads on Facebook and Instagram, it's it's tough. So mm-hmm. um, it's expensive to acquire customers. That's been definitely a battle. So you have to think of creative ways to reach the customer. And often that's offline. Um, it's not through traditional Facebook and Instagram ads. And then um, also, as you were saying with men, like, you know, we have found that our best seller is the shave cream because it's functional. So more men have to slash already have a shaving routine than I think have a cleansing and moisturizing routine. And while, um, you know, gender norms and toxic masculinity are changing and like going out of the picture respectively, um, skincare is growing. It's, it's, it's has a great compound annual growth rate um, projected and more and more men are into wellness. Um, it's still partly educational. So um, mm-hmm. the battle has been educating the customer, telling them why they should care, telling them why they should care within that for the ingredients, like why, why you don't want to be interacting with harsh chemicals. Um, but yeah, those would be like the two big things to me. That makes a lot of sense. Strangely enough, over the pandemic is when I actually got into the idea of having like a actual skin routine. I don't know why it came up, but it just popped up. And I started originally using Lumen and Lumen destroyed my skin. Like I can't, it destroyed my skin. Really? I don't know what was happening. Yeah, my skin got like, my skin wasn't bad before, but I started breaking out. My skin got really dry. It was like strange. And I realized like, Obviously, when you put certain, like, you think that when these, these brands, you know, give you these products, you know, like, they, they advertise them as good for your skin and, like, new and original and things like that. You think they'd always be pretty enriching for the body and the skin, and it wasn't. And I was right. shocked about how like, adverse it was for my body to, to deal with that. Yeah, so. it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, I think a lot of brands, I think that it's, it's a challenge for everyone because skin types can be so different, but, like, we yeah. made it priority for us to like just do so much testing and get all these third party certifications because like this is coming from like someone with like so much environmental and health anxiety that like I was like okay like what what I put on my skin like I'm scared of everything I touch after like what I went through with my treatment like and like I had this idea. I vetted it. I worked with really great scientists and formulators and a contract manufacturer. And, um, but at the same time, like I'm new to this business. So I was like, how do I make sure this is like safe? So we did all of this third party testing with labs, with, um, certification companies like the EWG and, um, other ones that confirmed that we were indeed cruelty free and vegan and, um we were allergy tested we were dermatologist tested i was just like how many things can i do to make sure people can trust us and that like we're good for you or at least not contributing consciously to your toxic burden which we all kind of face living in the modern world no matter how careful we are um that said i always say and we include um you know like warning signs like warning signs on skincare packaging are I believe optional, which is crazy. Um, but we always inc- we always include caution statements because everyone's skin is different, right? So we have basically zero returns, which is amazing. But we have had, I would say, like out of thousands of orders, we've had like 
a few, a few emails like this made my skin red and it's kind of unavoidable. You know, some people have allergies they don't know about, even if it's allergy tested. Um, everyone's skin is different. So anyways, I will say our track record has been very good in, in <laughs> that statistic. Uh, and we tested it to make sure it's that way. Yeah, no, I, I can tell online. I saw you have very, very good reviews. So I, I'm not surprised <laughs> at all. Um, and going from there, so uh, men's lifestyle magazine, Men's Vow, called uh, Jack First Products, quote, less is more skincare. Is that the angle you were going for when you originally started this? And would you continue it in terms of, you know, product offerings and things like that, keeping it more streamlined and, and, and you know, sort of curated? Or do you plan to expand and have it be a little broader than that? Yeah, I think that we're always trying to balance like functionality and like offering you what you really need in our opinion versus like what our customers are asking us for. So, you know, my viewpoint is like less is more. So like that's why we launched with some staples that I think like you should be doing something to cleanse your skin. You should be doing something to moisturize your skin and shaving, as I said, is functional. Um <clears throat> there are other products that people like, and that can be, um, they, they find that their skin benefits from it, or um, it's just kind of like a wellness routine that makes them feel good. Um, so we do definitely think less is more that said, like we have upcoming products, uh, like an eye cream that, you know, eye creams are taboo. Some people say they don't do anything. Some derms and petitions say they're super important. Um, we find it to be important because it is thinner, more sensitive skin. So we wanted to offer something a little more targeted. So we're like, that's an example of something we are bringing to market. Um, another thing in development is a serum. Um, serums have been vitamin C serums in particular, which is what we're making. I personally, as a consumer, loved the one I was using. Unfortunately, I found out it had some nasties in it that I don't want. Um, so that's something that I believe does work. Um, a lot of people use them in their routines. So we believe in them. But for example, a toner, we'll probably never introduce a toner. Toners originally were introduced in like the 50s when skincare wasn't when like cleansers and moisturizers were not pH balanced. It was something to like counteract that. Um, so we don't think that there's a need for those anymore. Now that skincare is pH balance, that's kind of just like a marketing gimmick in our opinion. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. I, um, used an eye cream for a while and I liked it, but it weirdly would make, give me like eye crusties. I don't know. I, I think it was like, I don't get eye crusties normally, but it would give me like a, a weird line of eye crusties beneath like my weird. Eye. Maybe it was, know why. it was like drying and maybe it was a bad idea <laughs> yeah i thought originally i thought that was like part part of the intention i was like it's as positive maybe 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 so <laughs> then after a little bit i'm like this is clearly not what's supposed to be happening are my eyes supposed to peel <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had no clue I was, I was learning but um yeah and, and going from there i, I know you, you kind of mentioned it before but um what do you think has to be done uh generally within the industry and within the players in the industry, obviously including yourself, to, you know, promote and, and grow this sort of men's personal care space. Like you mentioned before, a lot of stuff has to be done like offline, but more specifically, what do you think has to be done for men to see this as, I know there's societal issues that play into it, but like for men to see this as something they should probably start doing 
beyond like this, you know, some of the shaving cream or some of the more smaller functional things? Well, you know, honestly, I think it mostly is societal. I think it's like mm-hmm. everything that's happening is is happening and it's helping the industry and it's making people, um, you know, discard a lot of these ideas of toxic masculinity that like, honestly, there's evidence that it shaved, like men live on average five years less than women. And mm-hmm. a lot of that's contributed to these like, raw ideology is like that like drinking and smoking and like being macho and not asking for help and not help for mental health like you know that that that's um antithetical to masculinity like that's definitely changing and with that you're like oh maybe i do care about my appearance and how i feel like maybe i should exercise more maybe i want to take steps that can you know, help me age a little better and, you know, have better skin and wear sunscreen. And all of this is kind of out of, I think, the hands of the industry, um, but benefiting the industry. Um, Otherwise, it's just kind of like encouraging trial. Um, That's, and when we were talking kind of about barriers, like that's a big thing. Like a lot of people find a skincare product they like and they stick to it. And so that's been good for us. Our repeat customer rate is growing and growing as more people use it and rebuy. Um, but it's hard to get them to try it. And a lot of the, the trial obviously happens offline, which kind of ties into our strategy of right now we've we've met our customer online and now we're expanding our push into like strategic retailers. So we're, we just shipped to all 11 fellow barber stores um, nationwide. So that's an exciting account. Mm. Um, and those are going to be in all of their stores by the end of the week. We're not technically announcing it for two weeks, but. Wow. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> that's huge. Um, and I, I'm mentioning some of the things about stigma. It, it does make a lot of sense. I know um, when I started obviously trying to care about my skin over the pandemic, my my father's Nigerian and I was at home for a bit and he was so confused as to why I kept like putting all this stuff on my skin. He was like, your skin's fine. Why do you care about the lotions and moisturizers you put in your skin? And I was like, why not? You know, it's an interesting perspective that he, he sees as like a, I wouldn't say a concern, but he was wondering like, why would I need to do that? And I was like, why is taking care of myself and my skin and how I feel this sort of stigmatized problematic space that he feels even compelled to question it? you know right. so it is definitely societal and things that do have to change so. yeah they, yeah they're the uh they're the bar soap all over generation <laughs> yeah he's uh he's the um irish spring to the yeah. he's one of those people that's who he is but right. can't change it um but you did also mention things about strategic partnerships and things like that helping uh you know expand jack for how, how what other things do you envision in helping further Jack, for so like, what are some of the things you envision for the future, and do you see that coming about through more strategic partnerships, uh, more direct partnerships with yourself? Like, how do you see that uh, sort of uh, working out going on in the future? Yeah, so um, yeah, I was implying before that like everything needs to be omni-channel these days. You need to reach your customers in every way possible. You're seeing a lot of like D to C brands now suffering. Like Glossier just had to like you know relaunch essentially because they were very much online and now they're like very much everywhere. Um, and this is not unique to the industry. It's kind of like a mass thing. Like B2C just doesn't work. 
Um, so it's, yeah, it's about these different touch points. So like, you know, in terms of our advertising, we're like, okay, let's take this offline and, or not offline, but off just Facebook and Google, what else can we do? So now we're testing podcasting. Um, you know, one day, even if we're in retailers, when we have enough money, we're going to, you know, try and open up strategic, um, stores of our own, you know, small score footage, but ways to interact with the customer. We're not there yet. We'll start with pop-ups before that. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, like, you know, working with different celebrities, um, PR is big, so you you find that um, when when you do while traditional media is kind of dying, like being able to call out these features in your digital advertising is very important to performance and click through rate. So, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, the our kind of like five year plan is to keep offering SKUs that people want and get it in front of as many people as possible. That said, mm-hmm. we're exercising caution not to over promise and over expand because like, you know, a lot of people, for example, are rushing to get a deal with like Ulta and Sephora and like kind of let, or, or I guess for men's, it's more like a target or a CVS and like, that's great. But if people don't know who you are and you're shipping these big orders and no one's going to buy it, like they're never going to reorder from you. So it's a little bit of like a patience game as well. Um, And yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Managing like growth and awareness and also just trying to cut through the, the massive amounts of, you know, advertisements and things that people see in any given day about every topic. So not yeah. only like beauty products, but just cutting through that people, you know, see the products you're trying to advertise and push out and see it and internalize it and think about it in their own, like within the context of their own life and try to, you know, maybe go buy it or see something like that. So it is tough. I was having to do that. So I commend you for all that. And this is obviously like arguably the best, but arguably some of the worst times to be like trying to like, dish out products because there are so many products and there's so many avenues where people are trying to deliver those products. So it's very hard. People be very smart about it. So that is awesome. Totally. Um, and my final question, don't want to keep you here too much longer. Um, do you have any advice for any aspiring entrepreneurs, not just in the, you know, personal care space or beauty space, but in general? I do. I'd say my two biggest things are, once you have an idea you're really excited about, like it's very scary to like actually do it. So like you just have to start. So like incorporate the LLC or like do whatever and like get going and like make yourself do it. Cause like, it's very easy to be, to like leave it in the back of your head and be like, I don't know, I'm scared. And like, that was a big hump for me to get over. Like once you do it and like put in a little bit of your own money, like you're doing it, you know? So like, that's like the biggest kick in the ass you can give yourself. Um, on top of that, I would say raise more money than you think you need. Um, you know, I'm happy with the amount I raised. Some people were telling me I didn't have to like, so I didn't mention that. So in January 20, 21 I closed like a million dollar friends and family round um which was by friends it's like a lot of business acquaintances not like necessarily close people um some Mm -hmm. like big investors making private investors who I 
pri- private investments who I've met um, throughout my career. Um, but yeah, I raised a million people are like, oh, you only need like 300K. And I didn't listen to them. And I'm really happy I didn't listen to them because marketing is expensive. I mm. couldn't even make two of the hires I wanted to. I only made one hire because I needed the money for marketing. Like, so yeah, I would say just go and raise more money than you think you need. <laughs> okay. Well, there it is. Two fantastic pieces of advice from somebody now that seems to be doing pretty well. Like you are pretty much obviously getting off your feet and, and pushing this product out. It seems to be getting amazing reviews and obviously you're trying to scale, but it looks good so far. So yeah, thank you, Charlie. Yeah, thank you. Bye.